You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Eddie Tilly. So Growth Track really is a cool ministry. And I would add to that, yes, if you've you are a you know been a Christian for a long time or if you're a brand new Christian, but if you're not even a Christian, like if you're not even sure about this whole God thing, it is just a great first step. And it really is like walking into somebody's living room. If you can imagine stepping into somebody's living room who was just warm and welcoming and immediately made you feel at home, you're going to make connections in there that's very hard to make in a room as big as this with as many people as there are. So next week is step one, and we would love to have you join us in there for Growth Track. Well, my name is Eddie Tilly. I'm excited to be with you here today. It is Memorial Day weekend. Yes. Some of you got a three-day weekend. Some of you are still asleep. Some of you took off yesterday or Friday, and you're getting a four-day weekend. And so every Memorial Day, um, one of the things that I so look forward to is honoring uh, our fallen soldiers. And I would do that myself, except that one of my best friends in the whole world, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Keith Brace, is far more qualified to do that for you. And when I read his accomplishments for you, you will know why. He is a retired infantry officer after 20 years in the Army. He currently works as a TAC officer at the Citadel. He's earned the Legion of Merit and the Bronze Star, and he is a recipient of the Purple Heart. And so nobody does more honor to this special day than Lieutenant Colonel Keith Brace. So if you would, give your attention to the screen. Truly is an honor that we take this very special moment every year to remember those that gave their lives. The character and the integrity of the men and women who so selflessly serve this country every day is so easy to forget about that. It's so easy to get so caught up in everything else that's going on in the world that we forget that there are people that are standing up for you and I and countless others all around this globe. Every year when Keith does this piece for us, we always talk to him about, Keith, how how do you best celebrate what these men and women have done? And he says the same thing every year. He said, the way you celebrate the giving of these lives is you go out and you live your life. They fought for the freedom so that you could live in a land that is free so you could celebrate with your family and your friends. Keith himself, every Memorial Day weekend, they get together with their entire family, extended family, and they go to a beach up in North Carolina and they spend the entire weekend together. Adults, children, grandchildren, they're just an incredible family. He said that is how you honor their lives, not by wasting but by taking advantage of the time that you have that you can spend with your family and friends. So to Lieutenant Colonel Keith Brace, thank you so much for sharing that with us. And to all of you guys, thank you so much for spending your Sunday here with us this morning. Well, we've got a, uh, a, a service really of Memorial Day that's going to go even beyond Memorial Day because it is about remembering. And I have something else that I want to talk to you about that goes along with remembering. But I'm under a little bit of a challenge because for whatever reason, recently, somebody's just been letting the barn animals out. 
I mean, you know, we go to Easter. What happens Easter? We got to build a daggum ramp back here for the donkey. So we got a donkey going on at Easter. And look at Megan. She is just, that is, I mean, she has just been in her zone with all of these animals. And then Dave comes out last week, and he's got a daggone lamb, a live lamb. I mean, so I don't, I don't know what's going on there. I don't know what's happening. All I know is I'm like, okay, I can't be outdone. I can't be outdone. So I'm like, what in the world am I going to bring this week? I mean, I got to one-up the donkey, and I got to one-up the lamb. I don't know how you do that. And then I got to thinking. I said, do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that another name for Jesus is he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. All right, so, uh, so, you know, hey, nothing's better than a lion, right? Yeah, come on, come on, don't be, uh-uh, don't be, I want you to stay right, don't you move. Don't you move, don't you move, all right? All right. you can, right? You got to make the most of it. Oh, man. Yeah, I know, bless him. Yeah, his mind is sick. Help him out, Father. Lord be with him. All right. So, hey, got a lion for service. Now I'm going to light some fires. How awesome is that? We're not sure where the uh, fire extinguishers are. We were trying to locate them earlier. I don't think we had any luck, but uh, not to worry. Uh, we got a fireman sitting on the front row. Yes, 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 yes. All right, why am I lighting fires? Here's why I'm lighting fires. I just wanted to do a little something, you know, just to help us switch gears a little bit, to help sort of wrap our minds around what the service of today is going to be like. And, you know, for me, a lot of times when I'm reading the Bible, I just like to try to engage my imagination with what I'm reading. When I say engage my imagination, I don't mean so much that I want to create something that's, that's not there. That's not what I mean. But what I'm wanting to do with these lamps, for instance, is what I'm going to be talking about today is communion. And I thought it'd be very appropriate in talking about communion to go to the only time in the Bible, the only recorded time that Jesus ever had communion with the disciples. And the reason I chose this setting is because this is the type of setting that they would have had. They didn't have electricity, okay, so there weren't lights on in the room in terms of electricity. There were lamps, and so it kind of has that nice warm feeling in the room. And so I just wanted to do something to kind of shift our gears a little bit, kind of knock us out of autopilot as we talk a little bit about that first communion, because it's actually kind of funny when you really dig into it. And you do have to do some reading between the lines. And part of that is realizing that that first communion that Jesus shared with his disciples was the Passover meal. It was the feast of the Passover lamb. And that was a huge deal to the Jews. I mean, it was a big, big deal. And what that meal represented and what was supposed to happen at that time was that was constituted and put into place by God for the Jews to remember how God had delivered them from death, from the angel of death in Egypt. 
the last plague that God struck Egypt with to get Pharaoh to let his people go was death. And God gave instruction. He said, for all of my people, you are to take a lamb, a spotless lamb, and kill that lamb and take the blood of the lamb and put it over your doorpost. And when the angel of death comes by, any doorpost where he sees the blood of the lamb, he will pass over that house. And so this was a big, big deal, the Passover meal. And so the disciples come into this Passover meal. They know what's going to happen. What happens at the Passover meal is we talk about the Passover. We honor what Moses did. We remember how, how powerful God was in delivering us from the hands of Pharaoh and delivering us out of 500 years of slavery. We remember what God did. Only problem is Jesus spent this entire Passover meal talking about himself. Now, that had to be very strange for the disciples. Because see, you and I get to read the story on this side after everything's happened. Nothing has happened yet. Jesus has not died yet. Now, he has talked about communion, and we're going we're gonna to look at that in a minute. But they're not really here. You ever, you ever been around somebody, and they're telling you something, and they're telling you something that you know you should know, but you don't. So you nod your head like you do. But on the inside, you're going, oh, man, this is something I should know. I, I, I really should know this, but I don't have a clue. That's where they're at. It's cognitive dissonance, right? They, they, they can't wrap their minds around. When Jesus picks up the bread, and every piece of this meal resembles something, he picks up this bread, and he gives thanks to God, and he breaks it into pieces, and he hands it to them, and he says to them, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Now, they took and ate. But on the inside, they're going, um, so, so this, is, this is going to be about you? Like, this is the, this is the, this, this, this is the Passover meal. Uh, we're supposed to be talking about Moses, you know, God delivering hand of, you know, that whole thing. And then, takes the cup of wine, and he says, this is my blood. Take and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. And they're thinking, man, Jesus has lost his mind. But I'm not going to tell him that. Because I think I'm supposed to be getting what he's saying, but I don't get it. And we know they don't get it. Why? Because Jesus is laying out for them something that is going to be what you and I do even today as a method of remembering what he did on the cross. He is laying it all out for them plain as day in front of their face. And they begin arguing about who's going to be first in the kingdom of heaven. They're not there with him. They're talking about who's going to be the greatest, who's going to hold the highest position. So now Jesus has to get up and Jesus has to remove his outer garments and wrap a towel around his waist and go and begin washing feet to try to help them. And they just don't get it. They'll get it on the other side because they all wrote about it in their letters, in their gospels. They all wrote about this moment, which we call the Last Supper, which was for Jesus the last meal that he would share with his disciples. He says, it's the last time that I will drink of this cup of wine until I come again. And he sets the precedent by saying, this is something that you are going to need to pass down to the church so that the church understands how to do this in remembrance of me and not just to do it in a way of remembering, but to understand what's in it. It's not just a ceremony. 
These things aren't just representative of body and blood. They're representative of a whole host of supernatural power that comes with that that you need to understand. He said this blood is the new covenant. And not that the old covenant was old. It was just temporary. It was never meant to save us. It was meant to be something temporary, a placeholder until Christ came and gave his life for us so that you and I could be saved. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. All right, now for a little smoke effect. All right. All right. So communion, last supper. So when Jesus makes this declaration to these guys about the body and the blood. See, I told y'all, smoke effect. Look at that. I know we got machines that do that, but that's not the real deal, man. That's, that's a real deal right there. So Jesus was doing the same thing at the Last Supper that he did to kick off his ministry. If you remember, when it came time for Jesus to start his ministry, he went into the synagogue, he went into the church, and the scroll was handed to him, and he read from the prophet Isaiah. He read words that were written seven centuries before. And he read that passage of scripture where it talks about him coming, the power of the Lord being on him. He has anointed him to set the captives free. And he read that scripture and he said, I, I say to you this day, this prophecy is fulfilled before your eyes. So now in communion, he's doing the same thing. He's going right back again to Isaiah, seven centuries before this moment he's sharing with his disciples, when Isaiah not only describes what is going to happen to the Messiah, but he gives us the answer as to why. So this comes out of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. says, Yet it was our weakness he carried, it was our sorrows that weighed him down, and yet we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. In other words, that's why the Jews had him crucified. When he claimed to be the son of God, when he said that no man comes to the Father but through me, when he said, I am the only way to get into heaven, they thought that was blasphemous. And so they thought he deserved what he got. That crucifixion was punishment for him blaspheming against God. But Isaiah continues, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. And so here we go. He was beaten so we could be whole. Another word for that wholeness is peace. Another version says the chastisement of our peace was upon him. He was whipped so we could be healed. You may be familiar with the version that says by his stripes we are healed. The stripes are those bloody lashes that went across his back. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. So this is amazing. This is 700 years before Jesus that this is written. Isaiah saw that. God gave him that vision and he wrote it down. And so now Jesus is saying to these guys at this last supper, this is what I'm doing. I am fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. And it's not like they hadn't heard it before. They heard about it a lot. I'm going to take you to John chapter 6. And we're going to read what Jesus himself says about what he's going to do when he goes to the cross. This takes place right after he fed to 5,000. So Jesus feeds 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. So 5,000 people back in that day would have been the men. They only counted the men. So 5,000 men, so let's say it's eight, nine, ten thousand 10,000 people, maybe even a little bit more, 
with five loaves of bread and two fish. That's pretty miraculous. But let's look and see what happens because the next day they all wake up and Jesus is gone. And they want to be with him, so they track him down. They find out where he is, which is on the other side of the lake, on the other side of Galilee. They go over there and they find him. And then we have this encounter with Jesus. Beginning in verse 26, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Now, listen to this. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Man, this is a beautiful verse right here. Look at Jesus' response. Jesus told him, this is the what? Only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. So if you never did anything else for the rest of your life for God, if there was only one thing that you could do for God, it would be to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he came and gave his life on that cross. That's the one thing God wants from us all. Then look at this. This blows me away. Remember who these are, right? They got fed with five loaves of bread and, and two fish, right? They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. This was just yesterday. Just yesterday, he fed them. What can you do? I mean, can you imagine saying that? You watched him feed all these people with nothing, and then you say, hey, well, hey, if you want us to believe it, you have to show us something. I mean, what can you do anyway? Then, then they say this. After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. I love when Jesus comes back. He said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So now Jesus is beginning to go into it. This is a very famous passage of scripture that, is, that was so hard in that moment, in that day, that half of the people that were following him walked away because they couldn't understand what Jesus was saying. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now he's talking about hunger and thirst is not physical. This is a spiritual hunger and thirst. This is that thing that, that you have on the inside of you when you just can't find peace or contentment. It's that thing of before you come to have a relationship with God, it's like you know there must be something more to life. And all of us, before we come to know God, we all launch out on this journey and we all have one main concern and that is finding something to make us feel whole and peaceful. Whether that is a spouse, whether that is a career, whether it's wealth, whatever it is, we all go on that journey because we all have that, that nagging sense on the inside of us that there has to be something more to life than what I'm experiencing. That's what Jesus meant when he said, you'll never be hungry, you'll never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them, for I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. 
And I'm going to skip through the next passage because all they do again is they start nitpicking apart what he's saying. I'm going to jump down to verse 47. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us flesh to eat? So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. So what Jesus is doing there is laying out very plainly for them what this whole idea of communion is going to be like, what his body and the death represents. Because communion is all about the death of Christ. It is not about the resurrection. We celebrate the resurrection of Christ. We are glad that Jesus was rose from the dead, that he, that he was raised up as the first person who was raised up from the dead. And you and, I, you and I have eternal life because of that. But there is power in the blood of Jesus and in the body of Jesus. And this is a spiritual life. So what Jesus was laying out for them was, again, he's taken the prophecy from Isaiah. So in Isaiah, we see these pieces that there is something in the chastisement of the beating that Jesus endured that gives us wholeness. It gives us physical wholeness, spiritual wholeness, emotional wholeness. And then in the blood that was shed, we find the forgiveness of sins. We find right standing with God because of his blood that was shed. And so now Jesus here early in John chapter 6 is laying it out for these guys as plain as day. But what they can't separate is they can't think spiritually. They're thinking purely naturally. So when he says, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, they think he literally means I'm going to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And they couldn't get beyond it. They couldn't get past it. So much so that half of them walked away. They said, this, this is hard. This is hard. Who can understand this? I'm out. I'm out. I'm not eating anybody's flesh and I ain't drinking nobody's blood. And they were gone. And he turned to his disciples. He said, so what about y'all? Y'all going to leave too? And they're like, oh, we ain't got nowhere else to go. I, I, I love who he picked, right? Because these disciples, they didn't have a good standing in the church, evidently. So they didn't have another church that they could go back to. You know, when Jesus offended them, they couldn't say, oh, I'm going back to my old church. They didn't talk about none of that kind of stuff. They didn't have that. You know, all they'd ever known their whole, their whole life was hard work. Just hardworking people, working hard, looking for that thing to fulfill them. And Jesus knew that's what they were looking for. That spiritual sense of fulfillment, of purpose, of destiny, of wholeness on the inside that nothing in this world can satisfy. I have the most amazing wife on the face of this planet. Not only is she amazing, she is hot. She gets hotter every daggum day. I mean, I just wake up like, God, how's that happening? But I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for it. I'll tell you. 
But as good as she is, as awesome as she is, she cannot satisfy that deepest place on the inside of me. That can only come from my relationship with God. And the same for her. She would say the same thing. She would say to you, Eddie is the most awesome ever, and every day he just gets hotter and hotter. <laughs> she might not say that, but I'm going to assume so. I would say that about her. She ought to say that about me. So, but in the same way, I, I can't fulfill her deepest desires. I mean, there has to be an okayness on the inside that comes from God, that is fulfilled by God in a relationship with God. And that's what Jesus' death does. So what I want to do now is I want to jump ahead to 1 Corinthians and Paul talking to the Corinthian church, because this is what had happened. Paul had gone to the city of Corinth. He had started this church, and when he started the church, they were all on board. Everybody was doing everything great. He explained them communion. Here's why we take communion. We take communion because Jesus told us to. Remember when he ate the Last Supper with the disciples? He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood given for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. So he got them all set up, understanding here's why we do it. We do it not only to remember what Christ did for us until he comes back again, but we also do it because there's power in what he did for us, and we need to remember that as well. We need to remember what we got from Jesus' body being broken. We need to remember what we got from that blood being shed. Well, he laid that all out for them, and they started off on the right track, but what happened was they kind of turned it into like a party. They got to where now instead of it just being something holy that was full of reverence that they did in honor of memory of Jesus, literally it became like a food party. They all just started bringing a bunch of food and coming and eating. Not only were they coming and eating, it was first come, first served. The people that got there first were eating so much, and the people that got there last, there wasn't anything left for them. And they're supposed to be doing communion to remember Jesus, but there wasn't any food. So they're pretty much just kind of, they had way got off track with the whole communion thing. And so in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is getting them back on the right track. And in doing so, we get some great insights again into the body and the blood. So we're going to take communion when we get on the other side of this passage. So I'm going to ask guest services. They're going to come right now. They're going to pass out the communion elements. They're the they're little single-serve cups. So I'm going to ask you just to hang on to them as we talk through this because we're all going to take communion together. And it's going to be a little bit more extended and drawn out so that we can kind of do like Paul was doing with the Corinthians. And that is kind of, you know, get out of autopilot and really tap into the power that is in communion. So I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'm going to begin in verse 23. And Paul says, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. So what Paul is saying is, hey, God has laid this on my heart that, that I need to share this with you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to God for it, and then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given, another word would be broken, for you, do this in remembrance of me. So Paul is laying the groundwork here. Let's remember what Jesus said. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. So the blood represents that new covenant. So now, Paul goes into a couple of details addressing some of the things that they were missing. So anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. 
Now, let me pause right there for a minute because I know some of you come from different church backgrounds. And there are some churches that teach you that if you take communion unworthily, like you're unworthy of communion, then you're guilty of sinning against God. That's not what Paul's saying. It's not just the word unworthy. if If you study the whole thing, it's in an unworthily manner. Because none of us can take communion perfect, correct? None of us walked in here this morning absolutely sinless, spotless, didn't have a bad thought, didn't say a bad thing. You know, all this, you know, none of us are there. So Paul's not saying you have to be worthy of taking communion. He's saying don't take it in an unworthy fashion. In other words, don't be flippant about it. So that's what that means. That does not mean that you have to be worthy of communion. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. So what Paul is saying is, look, this is... This is an exchange that's happening here. So you're doing something to remember what Jesus did for you, but you're also remembering that this is an active relationship. It's not a one and done kind of thing. You don't just take communion once and then you never take it again. Paul's saying, look, this is, we have to have times where we reflect and do some inventory. Examine our own hearts. Is there anything in us that we have against another brother or sister in Christ? We need to deal with that. Is there something in our life that that we've just been letting run rampant and and we just need to rein it in? It's getting a little bit crazy. We need to bring it back in. It's not just a mindless ceremony. Paul's saying, look, this is an active relationship that's going on here. Yes, we're eating the bread and taking the wine that represents the body and the blood, but also it's a time for us to pause and reflect, reflect on our lives and also listen. Is the Lord saying something to us? And then he goes on. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring, a better word there would be discerning. I'll talk about that in a minute. The body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. Now that word died there, uh, when you draw that out, what it means is prematurely. In other words, the picture you get is that, yes, all of our days are numbered by God. There is a day that you're not going to go past. I don't care how healthy you are. I don't care how right you live. There is a day that has already been set for you, and you're not going to live past that day. However, according to this scripture, you can preempt that day through choices and decisions. God doesn't set it and say, oh, you're guaranteed. You're going to get there no matter what. No. We can make choices and decisions about our life and live our lives in such a way that we prematurely, before God wanted that to happen, make choices and decisions to lead to that happening. So what does he mean by discerning the body of Christ? We'll go back again to Isaiah. Remember in Isaiah it said, He was beaten for our wholeness. By his stripes we are healed. There is healing. So he said, when when you don't discern, when you don't tap into what the body of Christ got us, it wasn't, there's a reason that even Jesus separated them out. They're not one and the same. That's why we don't do them just both back to back and just say, well, this is a deal. We're remembering the, the death and the blood of Christ. No, there is a, a part to the body which has to do with healing and wholeness. And then there's a part to the blood, which we're going to get into right now. So that's why he's saying, he's saying, when you don't, when you don't, it's like water baptism. The way we do water baptism here is we ask you to uh, watch a video that explains why we do water baptism. And a part of that, a part of that is because Jesus commanded it. 
A part of that is because that's what Jesus did. He began his life with water or his ministry with water baptism. But a bigger part is there's a teaching in the Bible that compares our water baptism going underneath the water with what God did to Egypt, the armies of Egypt that were pursuing the children of Israel in, in, the, in, the, in the Exodus when they, left, when they left Egypt. And what happened was when, the, when God split the Red Sea and his people went through, but then when the armies of Egypt got in the middle of that, God closed the water in on them and destroyed them all. And there's a tie to that and you and I being water baptism, water baptized. And that when we go under the water, there are things in our life that God wants to deal with. There are things he wants to break, things he wants to destroy in your life. But if you don't know that, you can't engage your faith for that. And we have an enemy and he 100% will rob you of that. He will take that from you. We have an enemy that does not want you to have good health. So if you don't realize... Okay, so Jesus' body was broken for my health, my mental health, my physical health. Now you can engage your faith for that as often as you need to to remind yourself of that, that that belongs to you. Because if you don't do that, the enemy who has no power over you other than what you give him. So when the doctor calls you and gives you that diagnosis, now all of a sudden, instead of remembering what you have, the health and healing you have in Jesus, you're like, man, you know, that doctor said this is not good. That doctor said, odds are I'm not going to make it. That doctor said, man, this, this is a short life expectancy, three months, six months, a year, can't really tell you, but there's not a cure. Now our focus shifts, and, and we put our faith in something that has no power or authority over us. But we have an enemy that wants to do that. So now Paul continues. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. The judgment is the judgment that is already on the earth. What happened when Adam and Eve fell, judgment came on the world. You and I are delivered out of that judgment because of what Jesus did. But if we don't activate our faith for that, we can find ourselves in situations and circumstances to where now, because of our faith and what we're putting most of our faith in, we find ourselves living a life that is just so much more difficult and so much harder than God wants it to be. I was talking with somebody last night, and they were sharing with me how they had um, had an opportunity to witness in the airport this past weekend. Um, and this person um, has just had some terrible loss in their life. Strong believer, though. It can be easy, it's easy to be a strong believer when everything's going your way, but if you're a strong believer and your godly spouse dies, you know, what do you do with that? How do you hang on to that faith? Because that's what you have to do. Because you have an enemy that's going to accuse God of taking that person from you. You're going to fall into the trap rather than believe that we're living in a fallen world where there's sickness and disease and, and yes, bad things happen to good people, not by God's design. Rather, we fall into the trap of saying, well, God just decided to take them. God decided they needed that cancer. God decided that if they had that cancer, then they'd be able to minister to a whole lot more people because they had that cancer. Nothing could be further from the truth. God don't give you cancer. God doesn't, God doesn't give you bad things. He can't. That a thousand percent goes against his word. He said if we, being in a fallen nature that we are, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will he give good to us? He can't give bad. 
He can't, give, he can't give evil. He can't give sickness. He doesn't do that to us. We get those things from this world. But what God says is, whatever the enemy brings your way, whatever this world gets on you, I will turn it around. And I will use everything to your benefit. I'll cause everything to work together for your good, if you'll trust me. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to take communion with all of this in mind. So we've just kind of slowed it way down. So I'm going to ask if you would just to peel that top layer back on your cup and, and pull out that piece of bread. And so now according to God's word, this bread, which represents the body of Christ, in his body being broken, in the punishment that was, that was put upon Jesus on his body was our healing and our wholeness. So what that means is the healing for your cancer is in this, broad, this body, this bread. What that means is the healing for your depression is in this bread. The healing for your anxiety. Whatever it is that is taking peace from you, Jesus said, the punishment that was exacted on me was exacted on me so that now you could have the healing that flows from my Father in heaven so that you could have the wholeness that flows from my Father in heaven. And so a lot of times what I'll just do is I'll just say, you know, God, thank you that I am healed because of your body being broken. So would you just say that with me, Father God? Thank you that I am healed because of your broken body. And sometimes you may know somebody that needs healing. Gosh, right now I know a, a lot of people right now that are just sick with, with different things. I think of my good friend Susan um, who has something she needs to be healed of right now, of Chris, of Keith, of Luke. And I say, Lord, I thank you that because of your body they are healed. So if you have somebody in mind right now, just go ahead and get them in your mind. Somebody that you know that just needs a physical or emotional healing. And then just repeat this after me. Father God, I thank you that they are healed by the broken body of Jesus. So now would you take and break that piece of bread and would you take and eat and take into yourself the healing and the wholeness of Jesus? And then if you'll just go ahead and peel back that next layer so that you can drink the juice. And let me just say this. If you're in here this morning and you've never started a relationship with Jesus, now would be a great time to do that. Because what this blood represents is the absolute freedom from the punishment of sin. According to the Bible, the blood of Jesus makes you and I 1,000% righteous in God's sight. It removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Which I love that. 
Isn't it cool that God would choose that wording, the east is from the west? You know why? Because when you go from the north to the south, there is a northernmost point and there is a southernmost point. There is no easternmost or westernmost. When you go from east to west, you never stop going. It's an infinity of distance. You never get to west when you're moving east, ever. It just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And God says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sins from you. So our faith in Jesus and his death on the cross makes us righteous. That's why now God can give us that healing. That's why he can give us that wholeness. He can only bestow that on somebody who is righteous and we're made righteous by the blood of Jesus. So if you're in here and you've never had a relationship with Christ, it's very simple. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe with all your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And what did Jesus tell all those people? Oh, there's only one work that God wants to you or wants from you, and that is to believe in the one that he sent, in Jesus. So if you're in here this morning and you have never accepted Christ, when we drink this blood right now, let this be the moment that you say, this, I'm putting my faith in Jesus. Let this be the moment that you ask him to come into your heart. So let's all pray this prayer. Father God, I thank you for the blood. It has set me free from the power of sin. I am no longer a slave to that power. I now belong to you. I am your child, completely forgiven and completely whole because of the blood of Jesus. And would you take and drink? Amen, amen. That is the true breakfast of champions right there. So I think we need to put a little exclamation point on it. Because here's what I know. What I know is a lot of us just have stuff in our life. And, and, and we take communion, and the Bible says we can do that as often as we want. This doesn't have to be something you just do in church. There's going to be people joining us online at 11 o'clock. I'm going to encourage them. Just go get something, a, a piece of bread, a cracker, whatever it is. Get some juice or some water, whatever it is. Anything that represents that. You can do this as often as you, as you need to. And I would say to you, if you're really struggling with something, start doing this every single day and just see what happens. Start releasing your faith every single day. But we all have stuff, and what that stuff does is it kind of edges our faith in God out, and it kind of takes the throne over our life, whether it's fear, worry, doubt, anxiety. There's all sorts of different things. And so I want to take a moment right now and just sing a song that talks about what do you do when that stuff comes in and it tries to rob you. The best thing you can ever, ever do is just begin to speak the name of Jesus into that situation. Amen? Amen. So stand together and let's sing. How about shout Jesus? Oh, let me hear you shout Jesus. Woo! Man, there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. That in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hey, that means every foul and wicked spirit, every evil demon, everything is going to bow their knee to the mighty name of Jesus. All that stuff has no power over your life. One more prayer for you before you go. I want to, and guess what is tied directly to communion? I didn't have time to go back. I wanted to get y'all out of here a little early today. But 
the very first communion, if we want to be truthful about it, Jesus had his with the disciples at the Last Supper. But if you go all the way back to Genesis 14, there's this cool story. And it involves Abraham and this really mysterious guy. And we don't know a whole lot about it. His name was Melchizedek. But Melchizedek, the only thing we know about him was that he was a priest, a man of God. We don't know very little else about him. He, he was from Salem, and he was a priest. And Abraham had just gone through a mighty battle where, um, where Lot, his nephew, had been kidnapped. And Abraham went in and rescued him from the enemy. God gave him victory. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, after that victory, this guy Melchizedek shows up. And guess what he brings Abraham? He brings him bread and wine. And he has this moment with Abraham. And then guess what Abraham does in response? He gives Melchizedek a tenth of everything that he had. And he did that out of this response of saying, it is only because of God that I have that victory. So I want to bless you with the awareness as you give, whether you give through the app or online or right here in the room. I just want to bless you with the awareness that it is out of a thankful heart and a worshipful heart that we give. It is a way of worshiping God and saying that we understand God is our provider. This world is not our provider. Your job is not your provider. It is God Almighty who is eternal, who will always provide for you no matter what, no matter when, no matter your situation or circumstances, He always makes a way. So I bless you as you give in Jesus' name. I bless you as you head out today. Have an awesome Memorial Day. Celebrate with your family and friends. Make the most of it, but be safe, and we'll see you next Sunday. Have a great day. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.